This is the Tame Aperture Podcast. Open the pod bay doors, Cal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Welcome to the Tame Aperture Podcast, where we talk all things movies, from first-time directors, indie, art house, and much, much more. Go check us out at www.tameaperture for previous episodes and to make suggestions on future episodes. Today on the podcast, we talk Murder Party from director Jeremy Saulnier. A man gets a random invitation to a Halloween party, and when he arrives, he finds he's the guest of honor at his very own gut-wrenching murder. The film was released in January of 2007 on a budget of $200,000. The movie stars Chris Sharp and Macon Blair and was written and directed by Saulnier. Saulnier more recognizable for his films Blue Ruin and Green Room, I'm Gabe Vienendahl, filmmaker, film instructor, and movie enthusiast, and I'm joined today by the incomparable Alan Martindale, veteran podcaster, editor, and incomparable personality. <laughs> <laughs> Alan, how the hell are you? I'm, I'm good, and I'm, I'm super impressed. You you nailed Jeremy Saulnier's name. I did it. Multiple times, too. Well, I wonder why. Yeah. Could it be because we practiced this show already? <laughs> we've had some. We've had some. Uh, what, I, I lost some the, reps uh, on, on on going through that name a few times. I lost the uh, the SD card. We recorded this a week ago, and I fucked up, and I lost the SD card. No, so I had, now we're redoing it. I have to say that's number two. That is number two on me, which is bad because I've been doing this. I've been podcasting for ten years, and it never happens this often in my other shows ever. I am going to strip you of veteran <laughs> podcaster. Seriously. Start calling you rookie. Amateur at best. Now, we're tied, though, because <laughs> I've also lost two. So here's the deal. If you take me over, you're no longer the official co-host. Never going to happen again. Never going to happen again. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, uh, we're talking murder party. Now, Jeremy Saulnier, that friend, those French names, that's why. Yeah. I get all twisted up yeah i can never see him right go back to our uh podcast on martyrs and i don't (laughs) even think i i don't even think i pronounced the names yeah i think i think we were trying to figure it out before i think you came in and got pretty i don't even know that you were a hundred percent i definitely was not you were about 90 i was about 50 well you know what i learned with the french names you just have to act like like you're saying it right yeah you just go yeah you just go with it and then it it sounds right no matter what solnay sounds good to me yeah yeah, that's how I've heard it pronounced. I could be wrong. I don't know. He's from Virginia. He's not even French. So he's, so we're just assuming that it's a French origin. It's got to be. It's, it's got to be. It looks and feels that way. Yeah. I wish he'd just, just get a pseudonym. Come on, man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Mick G. Mick G. Mick G. <laughs> <laughs> I think his, that one's taken. That one's taken. That oh, one's that's taken. Right. Mick J. Mick J. I like that one. That's good. That's money. Jeremy. All right. Uh yeah, so tell me about so so you're going to walk us through this a little bit, but tell me about what. In, now I've seen this movie from before, but I had also seen it one time previous to that. But tell me about your. I what about it intrigued the. I'm just a huge Jeremy Saulnier fan, and Blue Ruin is incredible. That was his second feature. Uh, Green Room is incredible. I actually like Blue Ruin better than Green Room. Uh, I haven't seen Hold the Dark. That's the one thing I haven't seen um, that's on the list, though. And then uh, he's also involved in the new season of True Detective. He directed a couple episodes of that as well and produced those. So That'll be interesting because uh, I loved 
uh, ep, uh, season one. Season one was fantastic. I didn't fully watch season two. I I, I was bored. I gave up. So so you gave up. Yeah. I but season one was was tremendous. So it'll be interesting to see because Murder Party is a far cry different than the tonality of what you would think True Detective to be. Yeah. Uh, True Detective is more in line with like Blue Ruin and Green Room. Okay. Murder Party is, it, it almost feels to me like it's a filmmaker trying to find his voice. He's really good with the violence, uh, and that comes into play later on in his filmography. The comedy is there, but I don't think he goes far enough with it in this movie. And I think he either needed to go way, way crazy with the comedy or just kind of abandon it altogether. He's right in the middle there in a weird spot where it just doesn't really land. So this movie is, it's fine. It's not bad. But for me, I'm more interested in the filmmaker. And it's it's fun for me to see kind of where, and we've talked about this many times, where they start compared to where they go yeah. after their first feature is done. Yeah. And so this one, it's good if you want to get the full story. It's really good. Macon Blair who plays the werewolf guy in this, and I can't remember. I'm, I'm going to refer to everybody as their Halloween costume, yeah. just so you know, because this whole thing takes place on Halloween. Uh, Macon Blair plays the werewolf guy. He is a frequent collaborator with Song Ye. He's in every one of his movies, and he is one. He's just he's awesome. And he even directed a, another movie called, and Elijah Wood is in it. It's called I Don't Feel at Home in This World Anymore. I watched that today, actually. Oh, and tell it's, me about it's, it. It's great. It's great. It's... uh. You'll have to watch it, but it's just it's kind of in the same vein. It's a little bit more lighthearted at parts. Elijah Wood is fantastic in it, though. He's just great. So it's definitely worth watching. I think he's great in most of the things I've seen him in. I always yeah. feel like he, he's he's there's a, a TV series on FX that was around a few years back called Wilfred. Wilfred. I love that show. And it's so it's good. It's so good. Matter of fact, now I've got me thinking I got to go home and start rewatching that series. Because I love I know. it. Well, I the whole it was time so good. I, I was, I was while I was watching, I don't feel at home in this world anymore. I just kept thinking, like, oh, it, it's like, it's like, it's like a, a weird. I can't remember his character name, but it was like it, he's so much like Wilfred, and it, maybe he's one of those actors that just his name's Brian. His Brian, that's right, it's, Brian. If I remember, I right, think it's so. Brian. I think so because yeah. I always remember Wilfred the the imagine, the dog calling yeah. him Brian. Yeah, but that, but I, if I'm off, then correct me, but. It has it, so you his character kind of resembles a little bit. Yeah, of that. for sure. And Elijah Wood's always Elijah Wood, but he just does it, the, the weird incel character he plays is so great. It's fantastic. There's a little Frodo in 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 all his roles. <laughs> there definitely is a little Frodo. <laughs> you got, I mean, you can't you can't just shed Frodo. Right. That's such a big franchise. You can't just shed it. No, but I think no he's way. great in in his stuff. Well, and even the stuff he's producing. I these said days. Brian. I meant Ryan. Ryan. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Uh, even the stuff Elijah Wood is producing these days is is awesome. Have you seen Mandy with Nicolas Cage? I never saw it, I, but stylistically it looked amazing. Jess and I saw it up at Sundance. It was wild. Like it's it's wild. It was it's just a heavy metal movie. The whole thing is just heavy metal. People were walking out left and right. All the snooty Sundance people were literally getting. By the time that the screening was done, there about half the theater left. I'm assuming that it was a midnight special. It was definitely a midnight special. And it's gory and crazy and wild. It's worth seeing. It's right up But he alley. produced that. He produced that. I wanna it I wanted to see it because stylistically it looked cool mm -hmm. in terms of the design and the posters and mm -hmm. things like that. But I didn't know Elijah Wood was a producer. Yeah, he was a producer. But right? I know that he's 
been stepping in that role in various things, independent film. And yeah, things it's cool. Like that. Yeah, everything he's doing is really cool, and a lot of it's horror centric, which is fun too. Which I, obviously I love. But anyway, that, that's kind of a, a weird tangent to go off. No, because he has some kind of association with Macon Blair, right? Who he did that film with, mm-hmm. and Macon Blair is a uh, a frequent collaborator with Jeremy Saulnier. In fact, he and Macon Blair and one of their other buddies have their their company. It's called the Lab of Madness, which is just a wonderful name. I love it, and it's I just—it's just fun to see what this crew does. It's like one of those crews of filmmakers that you just—you're—I'm interested in everything they do. They so. just—it's just a bunch of friends from the neighborhood who found a niche yep. and just kind of like grew into that niche together. Right, and it happened to be that they were good at it, and then it kind of it kind of perpetuated into actually making careers from it. Exactly. I mean, imagine. But it's got that rooted nature of, hey, we're, we're all friends from the neighborhood. And it feels that way. Like, it feels like just fun. Even in the, in the more serious films, it's still, there's still that sense of, like, they're doing shit that they, it's like the deepest recesses of their mind, shit that they dreamt about when they were kids. Yeah. And it's, it's a lot of fun. Like, and, I mean, you're a filmmaker. You know, everyone who ever fell in love with film was we were making movies when we were kids yeah of course imagine you know it, all, it's that classic super eight exactly or or, or high eight beta whatever you, it is you grab dad's camcorder exactly. and you go out and you make some movies now exactly. imagine if you were still building a career with those friends you were making those movies with you know and it to me there's something special about people who stay together like that so that that's kind of my background with with these guys and murder party's okay it resonates though because murder party is that it's like here we are and what can we do on a very low budget that mm-hmm. allows us to tell a story that we could resonate with or that we enjoy that think, right. we think is silly? But I think where it does come up short a little bit, and we'll get more into that, is like you were mentioning, is it's kind of a mixed breed. So it's not it's not sure what it wants to be. Right. Um, and there's a lot of parts of it that I think are funny. I think it's exceptionally written in terms of dialogue. Yeah. And and very to the age of the characters that twenty year old college student who talks and says things like dildo yeah <laughs> super pretentious <laughs> right people. Yeah. yeah and then also they're all kind of rooted in being artists or filmmakers themselves in college kind of that 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 art-based group of kids right in, in 20 year old young 20 year olds but it's confused on what it wants to be yeah, yeah definitely and which is you know it's not that unbelievable to think that a first-time filmmaker might have a little bit of focus issues with that said I mean, from the get-go, I'm a little bit intrigued because you know me. Unlike you, you hate the 80s. I can't stand. It's the 80s aesthetic. I just can't stand it. I love it so much. I I know. Most people do. I do. I I get a lot of hate for it. But it's more rooted in nostalgia. Definitely. So uh, part of it's design. Like There are cool things aesthetically and Mm design-wise that are cool. But a lot of it's just that's where you grew up, so there's a nostalgic piece right right but the opening credits of this film of murder party it completely reminded me of like halloween yeah it's it almost feels like an homage to i think it was halloween five yeah which was filmed here in utah yeah i believe four through six were all filmed four through six yeah and um but it has that vibe to it so it kind of was misleading to me Mm -hmm. as the 80s aficionado somebody who loves it i thought oh we're gonna get that that 80s complete vibe and we get pieces of it but it's not there constantly throughout no not at all and and not only just the 80s vibe it kind of misleads you in thinking it's going to be a typical horror film yeah i thought originally it was going to be uh, uh 
just straight up horror film. Yeah. And as we get into it, we realize that it's got a very comedic nature to it. Yeah. How do you feel about comedy and horror together? I like it. I don't think it's... I think it's hard to do. It's very hard. I don't think it's done well very often. It's, I don't either. It's hard to mix it up. Um, but when it's done well, I, I, I love it. Think about... In, we've, we've done this, and I know you're, you love it. It's your, it's your film, Texas Chainsaw, which Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the first, the original, mm-hmm. is, is what it is. And we talked about this a little bit before. You're ch- then you try to blend horror with comedy because right. Texas Chainsaw 2 is... It's, it, it's crazy. It's, it's totally insane. different, right. and it's, it's not even verging. It is comedic. Oh, definitely, definitely. So I think it's hard to do, and I don't think it's done well. I don't love Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I like too. it just because I, it's just stupid. For it's that, just, I, right. I can go with you on that 100%. But as far as a good film, no, not at all. But this ha- has elements of that where it tries to be funny, and then it tries to take elements of mm-hmm. horror that we would recognize in, in stereotypes and, and like homage. Yeah. Um, but, but I think it tricked me at the beginning with the credits because I thought it was going to be pure horror. Yeah, that's how, and it's even scored like a horror score. movie. Yeah, it's and, got and the, the eight, shots it's that and, '80s vibe. Yeah, it with really the music does. Music score to it and everything. It really does. He definitely doesn't stick with it very for very long though. But this guy runs. He get, the other thing is like there's a whole lot of uh, coincidence that happens, and that's fine. Yeah, it's a movie. Yeah. I like. I'm a. I'm. I'm. I allow that. To, mm-hmm. I'm not like the person that has to have a rooted reason in everything that motivates a character sure. to move on. But the opening scene is him finding a randomly mind you a card that invites him to a murder party right and it it's just it's an invitation that just says come to the murder party come alone and it's very coincidental for sure it, which is interesting because like if you watch blue ruin that is not nothing there is coincidental it's it's all this happens so then this happens so then this happens and it all builds on itself structurally builds yeah. and the tension he builds in that is insane there's no tension in the in murder party this is what I mean when I say either go straight comedy or you got to go more thriller slash horror because there's I didn't feel any tension at all in this movie. Um, it's fun. It's a, it's a, aesthetically pleasing. It's done well. It's just it is done well, especially when you when you consider the budget. Definitely, uh, the actors are great, but as far as pacing and tone, I think they just really miss the mark so badly that it really it, it turned a lot of people off. And I can understand why. I would have liked to have seen um, some 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 form of retribution in the main character. So in other words, he just yeah. randomly gets invited or finds the car the invitation right. and then shows up. Which which by the way, the main character who whose name is is literally the name of the actor. Mm-hmm. It's Chris. But like you mentioned, we're gonna be uh, associating these characters with how they're dressed. So the main character is essentially Sir Lancelot. Yeah. He, he, and he throws together a cardboard costume. It's of very a Napoleon Dynamite in the way that it's it put together. It feels like it. Yeah. It feels like it. Definitely. I love how he puts it together. He finds a random box, cuts out shapes, yep. tapes them with duct tape, yep. and he he's dressed like a knight, like Sir Lancelot. Yeah. It's great. It's cheesy and stupid and. It's just kind of fun. And this is what I'm talking about. Like that, that's, I think that's kind of funny. I think that's a good little gag. Especially in the beginning, because then if it gets real dark and serious right. later, it makes it, it kind of ups the stakes a little. Right, right. You know? Well, even later on when he's, when he gets to the murder party, he's tied up and he still looks stupid in his dumb little costume that he made. Like the helmet's hanging down on his head. He just looks like a, you know, a little kid out of his element. 
So he, what, but can we talk about the candy corn? Yeah, let's talk about the candy corn. You and I are in full agreement about how much we hate candy corn. So Chris, Sir Lancelot, basically, uh, as he makes this, it's Halloween night. Which one thing I didn't like was that Halloween never comes into play other right. than there's a party. I always like it. Didn't what I mean is it didn't have that tonal vibe of what it of how all hallows eve like it didn't right. have that incorporated into the, the atmosphere there were a couple shots while he's on the way to the party where he's in the subway where people are dressed up not not a ton and so just i just mean in the atmosphere of the movie like it wasn't there like you might expect it to be for sure but he he gets dressed up in his sir lancelot uh costume and he leaves the trick-or-treat candy outside. He basically takes a bag of candy corn, pours it in a bowl, and says, take one. <laughs> First off, nobody wants your damn candy no corn. No one likes candy corn. No one likes it. It sucks. Second off, who cares if they dump the whole bowl in their thing? Right, right. The one person out of, out of ten that actually likes candy corn is just going to take it all. And that's pretty much what happens, I think. Because well, candy corn fucking sucks. It's man. the worst. It's the worst. And this guy's an asshole for putting out candy corn. Yeah, don't don't even put it out. No. Just turn the lights off. Right. And close the apartment and be done. Darken the house. It, call it a night. Right, right. Don't be that guy that puts out candy corn. He's so awkward. He doesn't understand what a good treat is for Halloween. What a dick. I'm perturbed by Chris. And he also, one thing that's important for the, for the plot is he makes uh, pumpkin bread. And he puts yeah. raisins in the pumpkin bread, and that comes into play as soon as he gets to the murder party. So basically, he get, he sees his invitation, puts out the candy corn, puts together his uh, his little costume. Um, and then I might say this is where the pacing gets dry. Yeah, because it takes him. Now he's tra- they're in. It's based in New York City, mm-hmm. and he has to travel on the subway, and then he has to walk all this distance. And the pacing of this, it takes forever for him to finally arrive finally get at this isolated, secluded warehouse building where the party is. Right. But on the subway, by the way, <laughs> best. this is the this, best part of the whole movie. This to me made me laugh harder than anything. This is the best part of the whole movie. He's sitting there and it's this close up of him. And then it starts to pull back and some black dude's rapping at him. Right in his face. Right in his grill. I loved it so much. I started laughing out loud. It was hilarious. Well, and that, that was a problem is that was a, that's a. A funny moment as far as comedy they peaked like right at the beginning yeah because i'm thinking like oh shit this is gonna be great like if, if stuff like this is happening i'm gonna love this but that's that's basically it because up to this point he's made the pumpkin bread with the raisins he's gone on the subway he's getting wrapped at by some rapper and then be, here's the thing it so far it just feels like what do we do up to this point at least and it changes a little bit what do we do if we put napoleon dynamite in this world <laughs> It feels like it. So think of his character that way. That's how I view that's it. A great, that's a great way to describe it. If Napoleon Dynamite had grown up, moved to the city, and found an invitation inviting him to a murder party. He's the one out of a million yeah, that would actually he's, he's go. He's the one that's going to go. He's yeah. the one that's going to go. Not sketchy at all. Definitely not. And then he walks in, and he sees uh, a bunch of people in this warehouse, and they're kind of sitting around being bored. And there are people, their, their costumes are, there's a dude who is dressed like a gothic vampire. There's Macon Blair, the actor who is dressed as the werewolf, like we talked about. Uh, there's a zombie cheerleader. There is the Blade Runner chick. So it's Pris from Blade Runner and a baseball fury 
from the Warriors. So it's a guy dressed up like a baseball player. I've never seen the Warriors, so I don't know what this is. I haven't either. But just think baseball player with what look what appears to be like a black eye. Yeah, and like a sad clown face yeah. type of thing. Uh, I, I'm sure people who've seen the Warriors know exactly what that is, a baseball fury. But So he walks in, he sees this, and they kind of make him Blair. And he is my favorite part, the, the werewolf. He's my favorite part of this movie. Well, he shows him the invitation, and they go, well, maybe he says, maybe I made a mistake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they grab the invitation, and they're like, no, no, come in. Yeah. They're, they're a little too excited They're to a little see too him. accepting. And then it cuts to these shots of, like, rope and sledgehammers yep. and axes, and immediately... It set itself up. And it's already very sketchy. I mean, he's seeing all the stuff. He's seeing the, the there's tarp there. Why isn't he running away? Because the guy's an idiot, first of all. I think he's so lonely, he just wants some friends. He's so lonely that he's not at all worried about this. Except for the one moment where he start, you, you see the expression in his face. <laughs> yeah. And he's starting finally. Like right, we the put wheels are two and two bit. together 30 seconds ago. He's finally getting right. the wheels turning. And then they're like, fucking get him. Yeah. And they grab him. And then, well, Macon Blair tries to axe him in the head, but his axe oh, gets, right. gets caught on um, gets caught on the, the light string. Which sets the premise for what we're going to see later on, which is the whole thing is this one person now that is there. We're just, they're going to try different ways or different attempts yeah. to murder this guy. It, it's, and the whole thing is, it's set up as a comedy of errors, I think. That's kind of how it's supposed to be. That's how kind of how it feels. Like, he, they can't even axe this guy in the head correctly. Yeah. So then he, the, the first murder attempt is is uh, foiled. Yeah. It's a complete disaster. So they, they tie him up, and then I I think this is the part where they start talking about how they want to kill him. And they tell they, they keep talking about this guy named Alexander. Alexander. Alexander's going to come. Alexander, you know, we got we to gotta do something to impress Alexander. Well, not quite yet because what you're right. That They get into that. But they tie him up. They take Sir Lancelot. They tie him up. And while they tie him up, the girl dressed as a cheerleader. Yeah, that's right. Who's zombie, right. a zombie cheerleader. This is important part. Uh, takes the pumpkin raisin bread from Sir Lancelot and eats it. And then while she's eating it, she's asking him are there raisins in this the funniest thing to me is it's not the she's not allergic to raisins she's allergic to raisins that are not organic yeah it had something to do with preservatives yeah exactly which is total bullshit it's total bullshit like you're either allergic to raisins or you're not you know it doesn't matter if it's organic yeah it's just this kind of sets up the pretentious art student scene that that were we stumbled into because it causes zombie cheerleader to fall over hit her head and die yeah well she said she you know she's acting dizzy so you know werewolf uh always wanting to be a, a lady pleaser gets her something to sit on she sits down she doesn't sit quite right falls over smacks her head uh sits back up and says something and then the blood just drains out <laughs> of her head and she says this smell like cut grass and then she dies and that's it and, and there goes zombie cheerleader. They take her, wrap her up, and put her in a in but, a freezer. And the, the the funniest thing here is they're not worried that she's dead. They're not sad that she's dead. They're worried that this Alexander guy is going to find out that she's dead. And this starts posing questions like, who's this Alexander? Guy? Exactly, exactly. And why do we give a shit about about? Right, him? right. So then they they throw her in a a fridge, and this just 
everything always reminds me of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but this seemed like it may have been an homage to to Chainsaw. Yeah. Because that's what they do in Chainsaw. They throw in, the, in a very similar fridge. So maybe not. I could be reading too much into it, but it could just to be me, your it felt like affinity it. for Texas Chainsaw. I just love that movie. And so every time much. you see a fridge or a freezer, yeah, that's it. you think that's, that's it. what it is. That's definitely what it is. No doubt. Uh, so then Alexander shows up, and, and he's a great character, too. You, he he you is, hate him. And, and the acting's really funny, and you do hate him immediately. 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 The pretentious ass. Total pretentious ass. He is reveling in the fact that these people are just kissing his ass. And by the way, he's dressed as a, I would say, more of a modern vampire. Yes. Because this scene to me was funny. Uh, me too, because... His costume, his vampire costume is much lazier than the gothic vampire. It was just basically throwing a red shirt, throwing some plastic fangs. And he sees the, the dude dressed as a gothic vampire. And you can immediately tell that he's upset by it. He goes, where'd you get those fangs? Where'd you get those fangs? Take them off. Then take he make, them off. Then he makes him take off his vampire shirt and his vampire pants and uh, makes him basically strip. Down to his BVDs. Yeah. And the dude does it because he wants to impress Alexander. This is so. Then he also tells him once he strips down, Alexander looks at him, examines him, and he's like, "You're hairy." <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. There were just. This is what I mean. There, you know, as as mixed as you can be as you're watching it. There are these little one-liners that yeah. I would like burst out laughing at for whatever reason. It was the timing of how they were delivered and right. what they were saying made me just like go, "Oh shit! This is this is supposed to be a comedy." Oh, right. Do you know what I through mean? And through. And, but, but still, a lot of me was kind of longing for the kind of the essence of an 80s horror film. Right. And it's not quite there. That's no, what we it's talked not. About. And this is, this is the point where I, I'm, I'm all in on it being a horror comedy, but there's just no horror. There's gore. I wouldn't even call it gore. There's, there's blood, and there's some cool practical effects they do, but it's not a horror movie at all. And it's not, there's nothing really tense about it. I think the thing that, well, one of the things that seemed most horror-like was that we, we learned that Alexander is there and why everybody likes him. We learned the reason why. Mm -hmm. And the reason why is that he supposedly has some connection to a grant. Right. And all of the people that are there are pretentious art students at the college. And, one, and this is where... Uh, they're they're all showing their either their installations or their photography or the, whatever piece of art they're interested in, and Lexi, the girl that's dressed up as the Blade Runner chick, mm -hmm. has uh, installation art on her little uh, camcorder, and that to me was like the most horror esque thing. Oh, for sure. Where it showed a quick, he, she was showing Alexander, hey, this is what I've been working on, and it was a, like a live performance installation of torture in a way. Yeah, yeah. And that was the most horror-esque in terms of real dark well, that, that you would see the whole time. The problem, it, it almost teases it. Like, we're going to see more of this kind of stuff. And yeah, I thought it was going to go deeper. Yeah, into and it, de it doesn't. It just It's very surface-level stuff. Um, but he does, yeah. So Alexander has a grant. These guys are all basically... They're fawning over they're him. They're fawning over him, and they're trying to impress him. They're trying to do everything. I, I don't really want to get into the nitty-gritty of this because it gets... it's. The, the pacing gets so There's slow. There's about a 30-minute thing here where they're just taught. The the points of the story are there. It's laid out that Alexander has a, mm -hmm. an end to a grant for $300,000, and that's their motivation is they want to impress him right. to get the grant. And then a bunch of conversation and things kind of keep the, the story going to a point where you're still entertained. 
Right. But it drags. There's moments where you go, I might just be done. Right, right, for sure. And there's there's also a point that shows how conniving Alexander is because they all he brings his buddy who is a uh, a drug dealer and they all they all shoot themselves up with truth serum. But Alexander fakes shooting himself up with truth serum so he can lie to them. And it just, it just shows him do that and it shows him lie that his, he tells them that his grant is bigger than it is. It just shows that he's a conniving piece of shit, basically. It shows the audience, but the people right, that are right. fawning over him don't realize that he's he's being, he's BSing them exactly, the whole time. Exactly. And before they shoot that truth serum up, one thing that I that I do want to mention is that they're pitching him on all the ways that they're going to kill Chris, <laughs> Sir Lancelot. What are the ways we're going to kill him? And the reason why they they want to kill him is it's it's basically performance art. They're trying to create an art, uh, uh, some some sort of artistic statement, and so they're pitching what they're going to do to murder him. And it, he's not digging any of them. None of them. None of them. Even though some of them are pretty creative. Yeah, they're all more creative than what he comes up with. Oh, definitely. Uh, he says they'll they'll read on the on the on the headline the cause of death, and then there's this pause. And he says, art. And everything that everyone pitched to him up to that point was way better than his idea. I even like Bill, who was the baseball player. Bill's idea was, he asked, you know, Bill, what, what is your idea? And Bill, very monotone, says, I don't know. I was going to cut his dick off and set him on fire. <laughs> and it's just just so great, just so nonchalant. And this is when this is when I immediately fell in love with Bill's character. Yeah. Because he just doesn't give a shit. And he kind of hides in the shadows. Yeah, and he doesn't He's say very much. He's not one of the more prominent characters. He kind of mm-hmm. just falls back in, in Werewolf, making Blair Werewolf, and Lexi, the Blade Runner girl, um, and even the goth vampire. They all kind of take front and center yes. over Bill in terms of the characters that are evolving. Yep, exactly. Um, so th- that's basically all you really need to know. I mean, there, there there's some clever dialogue. It kind of verges on Reservoir Dogs-esque Quentin Tarantino stuff. Yeah, because they fight over what they're going to eat before right, the witching right. hour. The witching hour is midnight, and they're fighting over right. what are we pizza, Italian, Mexican. And this is almost you almost feel like a young filmmaker trying to I'm trying not, to stretch it, trying to stretch it. And, and I can't tell if he's trying to do like an homage type thing to Tarantino or if he's actually trying to almost steal that that trope. Of the dialogue. But I think Selne is doing this. I think the other thing is, like, I think he's smart because I've seen, green, I love Green Room. Yeah. And so I know that he, he's got a lot of potential as a filmmaker. There's a line in there that kind of made me think he's still poking fun at himself I as a so. filmmaker while he's making a film about this. Mm-hmm. And it's where Alexander, uh, or not Alexander, Pierogi, the guy that Alexander brings with him. Yeah. The, the, the drug dealer. The, drug, the Russian drug dealer. He says, I'm bored. <laughs> so it's like it's like 30 40 minutes into the film yeah. and one of the characters says what some people might be feeling Definitely. which is i am bored and i think solne is going i get it uh, yeah right 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 i know sure. well he is a smart dude he's a smart guy and uh because i've seen his other films and at least one of them and, and they're good blue room i'm telling you and oh, I, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna be talking blue about room. this throughout the whole thing all of his movies are on netflix by the way yeah Blue Ruin for me is even better than Green Room. It's it's just so the, the way he creates tension is is unbelievable, and he does it in such a natural way. Anyway, I'll stop fawning over that movie. But um, they take Truth Serum. They take Truth Serum, and that's everybody all you need divulges to know. dumb little secrets. Right. Alexander, of course, didn't take the Truth Serum. He's able to lie to him. He's able to lie to him. 
And he does. And he ups the ante, too, because they, they ask him, hey, what's your truth? And right. he said, do you really have the grant? Because yeah. they're all really questioning whether at this point he actually has the grant. It's the gothic vampire, especially. especially. And I think, I think he might be a little bit more emboldened because he was humiliated as soon as Alexander walked in. He had to strip down. So he even says, you know, do you, do you really have a $300,000 grant? And Alexander says, no, it's more like half a million. You yeah. know, just being a total dick. He's being a total it. dick. And um, so a bunch of stuff happens and nothing really happens. And and eventually they kind of bring Chris, you know, Sir Lancelot. There is a character development between Lexi and Werewolf. Yes. Werewolf basically divulges to Lexi in front of everybody that he's he he likes her. Yeah. He has a a crush. Right. On Lexi. And he's talking about how he picked up her popsicle stick when they went to the carnival. (laughs) Right. And he like so he admires this girl and he's letting everybody it's out there in the open. That he likes this girl. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's not like it was a big secret in the first place, though. No. Just maybe about how creepy he is about it. But now it's evident. Yes, yes. Uh, and then, I, you know, I'm not sure where to even go from here because it's just it, – it, there's a bunch of stuff that really doesn't – it just kind of drags on, which is too bad. The filmmaking is done beautifully. I think the camera work is great. And Saulnier, you know, he wrote, directed, produced, and shot this. And so to me, for him to be able to do all this stuff, it's really done well. It just he should have chopped it up more. And we get to a point now where um, Sir Lancelot, they kind of bring him into the group. They inject him with the truth serum. They're kind of having fun with him. But the more I think about it, sorry, the more I think about it, I think he's also once again poking fun at himself because they talk for 20 minutes in the truth serum. And finally... (laughs) Alexander, the quote-unquote leader, he's like, all right, let's wrap it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He knows. He knows. I think he knows. I I think he might be right about that, which actually makes me like this. I'm probably going to have to bump it up a little bit more because self-awareness is something you don't see in a lot of That's what I mean. There's a lot of self-awareness going on. Um, So there's a point where uh, Sir Lancelot gets out. And they chase him, and they tie him back up. And but the main the main thing I really and, and if I'm missing any plot points, let let me know. The main thing it gets to a point where they they kind of know Alexander's full of shit. So the Gothic vampire injects Alexander with the truth serum. Yeah. And this is where you find out that Alexander is just full of shit. He doesn't have a grant. He lives with his grandma. He even his dog, who he brought named Hellhammer. Even his dog, he doesn't like, and he's going to put it down because it's not a puppy and it's not cute anymore. And they say, well, what do you want with us? What are you going to do with us? He said, well, I'm going to murder you all, and then I'm going to sell your art because I can't make any money off your art while you're still alive. And so you see what a psychopath this guy is and what a, what a crazy, insane fucking loony he is. And we also see, so the truth is divulged. Alexander's full of shit. But we also see a moment where Bill, who's been silent most of the time in, in his own way, like we talked about him being hidden in the shadows, goes outside. And basically, this is going to allude to foreshadow later mm-hmm. on because Bill says how much he hates the dog. Yeah, he just, and I'm going to kill you. He's telling off the dog. He's, he's telling off the dog. And when he comes back in, he's overheard Alexander and Lexi and Wolfman all talking about he's been painting. Right. That was his art. He's been painting this thing. They're all huddled around the canvas and just ripping that just thing Just making to shit. fun of it. Right, right. Well, I mean, they're doing what 
I mean, I, I certainly saw this at times. You know, people, when someone makes something good and other people are threatened by it, you know, sometimes some people can have a tendency to just rip it to shreds yeah. just because they're jealous. And I think that's what was going on. But this definitely is an important part because this will be the catalyst for Bill's un, his un, unraveling. We... W- like I said, it's a foreshadow to what happens at the yes. end with Bill. Yes. So Bill stumbles in and sees that. Um, I'm Truth sorry. is out. It's all right. Truth is out there. Yeah. Alexander is now a fraud. Bill is being set up to be <laughs> the the silent murder. He's gonna go crazy. He's gonna yeah. lose his shit. He's gonna lose his shit. And it's also it, that's alluding, like you mentioned too. There's a lot of truth to that potentially in the society or how people are perceived amongst friends or mm-hmm. colleagues or in a glitch like a glitch a click yeah in a click uh, a group of people uh where they get pushed to the edge yeah and eventually all that pushing leads to real horrific acts that's dark because that happens in our society all the time with you see mass shootings and things like that like there's some i'm no he's not going that deep with mm-hmm. it but bill is one of those people and no, he goes without crazy a doubt, without a doubt he goes crazy you know, he's one of those soft-spoken... I mean, you hear this all the time. Like, he was such a, a nice, quiet guy. We can't imagine he would do such a horrible thing. And this that's Bill to a T. And we'll get into that at the end here in just a minute. Werewolf goes outside. He lights up a cigarette and, ba- cigarette and basically burns his face off. The mask that he's wearing... He's So he lit, he's smoking a cigarette with the mask on, with the werewolf mask on. So, and it, I did find this kind of funny when Lexi's running in and out trying to find a fire extinguisher that will work. Yeah, while his face is burning. Right, and she's yelling, you know. And no one cares. And no one gives a shit. They're all busy up with dealing with their own garbage. Um, because Golf Vampire eventually brings in an assistant, an assistant for his photography. And this just leads to <laughs> Alexander starting to just lose his shit. Yeah, it just gets the whole thing gets crazy. And then it starts to amp up. And this is where after that 30 to 40 minute span of talking and just it starts to amp up a little and you start to get a little more interested well, just because it goes so far beyond. If the, and it, honestly, I was thinking about this. It's not in the same vein, but it's a little Tarantino-esque where it's a lot of build up and then just a violent explosion of it, of everything happens. The at once. world is different because yeah. it's not this world is is campy. Yes, yes. Because Tarantino builds a world and it's it's exploitative. It's it's over the top, but the world still feels real. Right. This doesn't feel No, no, no. Not real. at all. Right. Not at all. Um But you're right, it has that comparable to it. That ba- comparison. Yeah. So basically, uh Alexander tells his, his Russian buddy to to shoot the the vampire and so he starts shooting everybody. He just and it, it, he shoots him. But he yeah. doesn't kill him. He doesn't kill him. I think he just grazes him. I think he grazes him, but then he he shoots him again and he shoots him in the head the second time. And he's still alive for a second. Yeah. And it's I don't know how you survive that, but finally he he he's done. Then he takes out the assistant. He takes out the assistant. And um I can't remember what happens to Lexi. She comes back in and starts going crazy. She yeah, she starts jumping on she, the she's uh, been trying to help werewolf men. That's uh, right. Get extinguished. But she comes back in and starts seeing what's happening and goes crazy and jumps on, uh, uh, what's his face? I don't remember his On name. the Russian dude? Yeah. Pierogi man. Pierogi man. And then, <laughs> now Bill. Bill loses. So he loses his shit. All this gets crazy, and then Bill 
Uh, by the way, Sir Lancelot has now escaped. Mm-hmm. Bill is going nuts. And now you, it turns from uh, silence and kind of in the shadows to him yelling as he's going through the warehouse, like, where the fuck are you? He's just yelling, everybody dies. Everybody dies. Everybody dies. dies. And he kills Lexi, which is important because that pisses off Werewolf. Because yeah. Werewolf's still alive. He may have burned half his fucking face off. But he saw Lexi die, who earlier he divulged that he loved. Right. Loved, and now he's upset. So now he's pissed at Bill. In the meantime, Chris, a.k.a. Sir Lancelot, is escaped and is running around, and everyone's kind of, it's a it's basically a chase scene. Yes. You have the leader, Sir Lancelot, you have Bill following Sir Lancelot, and you have Werewolf Man following Bill. Yes, yes. And it's a very extended chase scene. Very long. And uh, Bill is following Sir Lancelot with an axe. So Bill's got an axe. Werewolf guy has a, an electric chainsaw, a chainsaw you have to plug in. Which to me is just it's a little was, detail, but it's so funny. That was funny. It's so funny because and this is another I and call me crazy. I think this is an homage to Texas Chainsaw Massacre a little bit because the way Werewolf moves, he moves exactly like Leatherface. You're just always gonna find but a connection. Go back and watch it and tell me this part is not because no, I'm with you. Th- I just I have is, to give you a hard time because oh, you have. I to. think yeah. any film that we review and look at, Alan will find a way no to bring what. it back to T- no, TCM. It's my it's my favorite movie, no no doubt. Uh, but just the way he moves and his mannerisms, the way he holds the electric chain, and it's just hilarious because he's got to carry the extension cord with him, like the cord. He can't, you know, Leatherface is running around free and the chainsaw's going off. This thing has to be plugged in. And when it's plugged in, it's got it just makes a tiny little sound. But it does serve later on, too. It sure does. It so. sure does. Uh, and then I think there's another homage here. While Bill is searching for Sir Lancelot in the warehouse. That one I saw. He is holding the axe and lumbering through a little corridor just like Jack Torrance in The Shining when he's going after Danny in the maze. Right. I think uh, those man, I think that's... That one's the easiest homage I've seen. They're direct rips. Definitely, definitely. So, th- th- and that's another thing I like about Saulnier, especially in this movie, is there's just tons of little nods to other movies that he loves. He's a mo- he's a movie guy. Yeah, there's a lot of homage, and there's references to a Scorsese film. Right, right. And like, yeah. And it's it's fun. It's fun when you when a film buff makes a movie for film buffs. And you know, he's he's a horror fanatic, and he's making a movie for horror fans, and it's fun. Um, after a very extended chase scene, and I mean very extended. Yeah, far too long. We could have cut it literally by about Ex- 10 minutes. Exactly. Uh, basically, Werewolf decides to plug in the chainsaw on the roof for some reason. Uh, Sir Lancelot has led Bill into a modern art uh, party slash uh, showing, like show. and Some form of... Uh, installation gallery yes of live performance art yes exactly and he because he, he gets in there and there's a bunch of nude women that are painted yes. gold and silver i thought this was funny by the way it does a pan on all the different mm-hmm. women cuts to sir lancelot looking confused <laughs> but then cuts directly back to the boobs of a woman, uh-huh. of where his eye right. line is. It's good editing. It's yeah. great editing. It's good for editing. Sure. And it, these are real women. These aren't manic- mannequins or anything like right. that. They're, they're just, all painted up. They're all painted up. It's going to be body paint, uh, a performance art of some sort. And he's hiding from Bill, and Bill breaks into the room. <laughs> and I just love it because Bill is just screaming, "Everybody dies!" And he just ha- starts hacking up everybody, 
all the all the women in there, all those naked girls. He just hacks them up, and blood's flinging everywhere, and it's it's fun. I don't think it's done particularly well. He, he, again, I think he should have either gone. It's I, just I, a bunch of low cameras with a bunch of blood splattering on the walls, and you see Sir Lancelot, and you see Bill. You don't actually see any kind of damage done to right. the women or the people in there. It's just blood splatter, blood splatter, cut back. You know, and and I think part of it is the sound design in the violence and all the, in all the different instances of violence in this movie, the sound design is not particularly done well when he's, you know, when someone gets hit with a baseball bat, you're not hearing a crack. You're hearing just a thud. Yeah. And it's kind of this, it's kind of the same in this, like it good sound design brings the realism. That's really what sells it. I think. And I think, I know they didn't have a lot of money to work with, but I think with, a situation like this, a scene like this, you either got to go all out on the gore or you got to just not do it at all. And it, I'm sure they didn't have enough money. There were some great practical effects earlier on with violence, and I'm sure they just kind of ran out of money. Because it's hard. I mean, you're in a single room. I think it's hard to figure out how to, yeah, like you said, execute shooting all of this mm -hmm. and having all these characters die. There's like five, six, seven, eight people in the room. Yeah. So like showing those murders... And getting coverage of all those murders, you know, can be a can be could be a hefty price tag for sure. Uh, keep in mind that I did say that Werewolf Boy plugged in his chainsaw on the roof for some reason, and I still don't understand why. Uh, but it becomes important because Werewolf Boy, and I can't even remember why, he falls off the roof while holding the chainsaw. So the chainsaw, so Werewolf Boy, he just falls. He's dead. The chainsaw is still plugged in from the roof, though, so it's dangling in front of the window where Sir Lancelot and Bill are at. And by this time, Bill's killed everyone in the room except Sir Lancelot. Except Sir Lancelot. So how convenient that the chainsaw is just hanging right there. So Sir Lancelot grabs the chainsaw and just saws the shit out of Bill's face. And this is, this is fun. This is fun. He... He held on this shot for a long time. I can I just say something though, Bill. Okay, he's a baseball player, or mm -hmm. that's how he's dressed as his costume. He's taken out like eight people in a room. Yep. He's batting a thousand. He's batting a thousand. He is. He is. And then all of a sudden, on his one swing on Sir Lancelot, it's the worst swing in the world. <laughs> it's terrible, right? And by the way, the editing of it. I'm sorry, Jeremy. This is bad editing. It's bad editing. But nonetheless, the he totally whiffs. He's taken everybody out, but then on Sir Lancelot, a horrible swing leads to a chainsaw to the face. Right to the face. And uh, he holds on that shot for a long time. I loved that, though. I like it because I love the effect. I thought it was cool. They did a good job there. This is where they put their money they when did. they couldn't do all they, the other murders. Right, exactly. They could only do this Bill. Was, and, and you, and you kind of get this feeling when, when they cut to this shot of Bill being chainsawed in the face – you get the feeling like this was what the movie was leading up to. So these guys, these filmmakers, these young kids could get this shot. Like th this is like this is the they kind of blew their load on this. Like they're just like we got to we got to get the chainsaw in the face shot. This is like five cuts back and forth between the chainsaw on Bill's head and Chris pushing the chainsaw. Yeah. And it takes forever. And it's going back and forth and back and forth. Bill doesn't die. Till the till the end of that, right, he's alive right, forever. Right. It's just him screaming. I love that, even though it's completely unrealistic. It was super fun. It was that's what I was waiting for the entire movie. I was waiting for this kind of thing. Either give me the gore or give me the comedy. Yeah, don't tease me with both. Yeah, 
And I understand, again, they didn't have a lot of money. And you gotta, you got to work with what you can work with. And all things considered, they did a hell of a job putting this thing together. And the way they filmed it, it's very, uh, it's very competently made, except for a couple, it is. couple issues. I love how Sir Lancelot puts a pumpkin head on Bill, too. I did like, yeah, there is a yeah. little, it yeah. comes back to, oh, yeah, this is Halloween time. Right, right. And so I did like that he puts the pumpkin head on Bill's dead body. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and then there's a little bit of a, they try and sell a, a character arc. It's very half-assed towards the end of, of Sir Lancelot. Um, he was taking some pills earlier in the in the movie. Doesn't need them anymore. Uh, his and cat. It is, it is going off. His watch is going off periodically right. throughout, to reminding remind him, him to take, to his, take pill. his pills. Even during the chase scene from Bill, it goes off and he takes them. So even in at that moment, chase, right. in the middle of the chase, he takes them. And then at the end, his watch goes off to remind him and he... There's also, toward, at the beginning of the film, he, he tells his cat to get down off his chair and his cat doesn't listen, so he just says, okay. And at the end of the film, he asks his cat to get down again and this time the cat listens. So it, it's really kind of half-assed and I think it would have been a little bit more meaningful if they had really featured him more in this movie, but he is just a background character. The protagonist is, is essentially a background character. And he's he doesn't play a, a very vital role at all. No, it's that it doesn't lead you through the story. No, and you don't really care about Sir Lancelot, even though he came out on top. Yeah, there's no real like I don't care. He's an asshole because he left Candy Corn at the front yeah. door. Yeah, and he's a meter maid. That's his job. His job. He even says this. He says, "I write people tickets and ruin their days." What an asshole. Yeah, I would have made it. I feel like we should have had him. Is there some retribution there or revenge right. or like right. what is it that like warrants him? to be somebody that we want to jump on board with and follow along the right, story. Right, right. Uh, and then uh, I, I got to mention that he did, before he went home and yelled at this cat to get down, he did uh, walk away from a horrific crime scene that he was involved in. I just want to say, just casually walked out of there. Yeah. <laughs> didn't <laughs> care. Didn't give a shit. He did, he did on the way out call the uh, 911 on the phone right. and give it to one of the attendees right. of the live performance. That's right. Uh, and said, uh, it's all real. It's not fake. Right, right. Um, he's bloody, but just covered. just covered in blood. And and there is a, a fun little moment there at the end when people are pe- peering into the room. That's just these people are massacred in, and they think it's part of the art installation. Yeah, and they think it's performance art, and it, that just kind of sums up the whole pretentious attitude of these artists. And that was the funnest part for me was just seeing how pretentious these people are, how selfish these people are, really poking fun at the aspiring artist aesthetic. I think once again, this is where he is being self-aware, and he he knows what he's poking fun at on, with intent, and that that at least regrounds it into something that is is relatable. Like I get what he's doing, so mm-hmm. I like that he did that. That he that he brought it back to like this is the world, and there's a bunch of pretentiousness to these. Yeah, people. I agree. I agree, uh, and that's murder party. Well, the end scene, he gets home, and then he. This is I hated this because then it was a throwback to an 80s thing because he sits down and he at his couch, oh, Sir yeah, Lancelot, yeah. grabs his remote, breaks the fourth wall by clicking the remote. It cuts to black. Not only does it cut to black, you hear a howl. Yeah. As, c- as if it was a Halloween movie the entire time. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I was like, wait a minute. Come on. It tried to retrace a Halloween movie because right. in the last few clips before he gets in his house, you see like leftover confetti and like right. broken pumpkins and like the Halloween atmosphere, but it just didn't sell me. Yeah. It's, you can't spend the entire movie 
away from the Halloween aesthetic. Like they, they were in costumes, yeah, but th- it takes more than that to sell me it's Halloween. Yeah, there's no, there's, there's no setting up the atmosphere of it. But you're all. right. Look, Sir Lancelot's a douchebag. He's a dick. He's Napoleon he, Dynamite. He is. But the thing about Napoleon Dynamite is you, you care for the character because we like, spend a lot of time. We spend a lot of time with, with and, him, and we see his attempt at growth. Whereas with Sir Lancelot, it's like there's none. So no, it's it's pretty half-assed. But all things considered, I enjoyed the movie. It's mainly because it's fun to see. I just like this this group of guys who make who make these movies together. It's fun. Uh, I really love their later films, and that's main, more than anything. That's why I, I kind of enjoy it. I, if if it was this movie made by someone else, I don't know if I would have liked it as much. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't have as much familiarity with these filmmakers as you do in terms of what their body of work. I do have a lot of respect for what they did um, because, you know, you're looking at some of the, the, the research here and it, they filmed it with basically no money. Um, they were essentially amateur filmmakers who created a collective of artists who want, called, like you mentioned, Lab of Madness. They couldn't find investors. Nobody was interested. So they just went and did multiple roles of cast and crew themselves and basically figured out a way to pay for it. So the whole idea of that confidence of being like, look, I can't find anyone to get me going, that I loved. because, And I think for what it is, after you watch the movie, like if you keep that in mind, don't expect to see some some elaborate film that was, you know highly budgeted with by an acclaimed filmmaker at least yeah but i think you see the beginnings of somebody who's got a lot of talent and it's just their first film yeah yeah uh technically i think it's great i think it's done very very well i think yeah because you have to understand how do i it's harder than it looks as a viewer when you're just watching if you start to break down what it means to actually put scenes together Mm -hmm. bit by bit and doing it with no uh, external resources or extra money, like Solonier's got some serious talent. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and you could see it right from the get-go. And so I just think technically it's great. Again, acting, I think, is fantastic. The acting's good. It's fantastic. Yep. And, and it I'm not good. just saying it just for just because these are kind of no-name actors, which they are definitely at this point, but also because they were really good. I really enjoyed all the performances. I really liked Alexander. The dude who played him was great. Yeah, he's a good actor. He made me really hate him. And uh, so, I, I. But like I said, pacing, slow, and tone. It's just kind of it's mixed, and it's those 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 missteps are are big enough to where it really is a little bit of a turnoff. So if you're gonna watch it, I, I definitely recommend it because as soon as I watch this. As soon as I was done, I turned on Blue Ruin. And you know what? As soon as I was done with Blue Ruin, I turned on Green Room. I literally watched all three of those movies back to back to back. And the thing about those other movies, at least Green Room, which I've seen multiple times, which I love, totally, completely different. Totally different. So don't expect... If you go watch Murder Party and you're going, okay, I think I get the idea of what this filmmaker does, don't let that pigeonhole you into thinking you know what Saulnier does. Right. Because, and we'll go, I'll have to go watch Blue Ruin, but Green Room is completely different than Murder Party. Definitely. In tonality. Definitely. But it, it is just fun to see the, the body work all put together. So, um, should we do a little trivia here? Yep. Okay. 
Like you said, uh, there were no investors, so they everyone had to do different roles. During the truth serum scene, actual hypodermic needles filled with sterile saline were being used. I wondered about that because those close-ups, when they stick those needles oh. in their arms and through their finger, oh, I was like, I couldn't do it. Th- there's no way that was faked. You could just tell. You I could just tell. Espe- for me, if I'm an actor on on this movie and there's no budget and there's no you know no one no expert there to make sure I'm doing it safely. To me, that's that, a little scary. That's some commitment on that, there. That really is. Um, let's see. The opening credit sequence was shot in October 2005 before the script was even written. So that could be part there, of it. There's the, there's the discontinuity yeah. in, in, how it's, in how it's set up. The splatter FX set pieces were all done practically, which I really enjoyed. That was another thing. I, I didn't really talk about how much I enjoyed um, all the splatter effects and the gore effects. I thought they were they were a lot of fun. Uh a leaf blower. We didn't talk about it on this one, but a leaf blower was used to make the party invitation float down the street when Sir Lancelot. I love that shot though, because it's a great that, shot. But that's also why it felt uh, kind of a throwback mm-hmm. to the '80s because it was like a random. It just it felt like okay, this is an important device in mm-hmm. this story, right. and they made that emphasis really clear by using that tracking shot with the invitation kind of rolling down the yeah, sidewalk. Yeah, done very well, very well. Um, it was given. Here's one thing: it was given the audience award for best feature at the 2007 Slam Dance Film Festival. It's kind of interesting to me. The, the audience, audience award. award. That's a big deal. Now, Slam Dance is no small potatoes. But back, see, I don't know. I'm not very even familiar. in 07. It's in been 07, around it, for since the mid 90s. Yeah is my guess. I don't have it right in front of me, but it's somewhere in that. It had been around for over a decade. So it was no small, small, it wasn't chump change. Like that's still a big award to have received. The audience award. That's the crazy thing to me because audience scores on this movie are not great. Um, Rotten Tomatoes, the audience score is 57% on over 3,000 reviews. Uh, The tomato-ometer... For the critics, a hundred percent, five five reviews that would explain it. We we got and, so, and some of these reviews are a little mixed too. It's just overall positive, but they're a little mixed. And I think when we did this last time, we went through and some of these sites and these critics aren't even around anymore. No, cinematical, cinematical. Scott Weinberg says surprisingly well acted, fast paced, frequently amusing, fast paced, and packed with some really crazy kills near, near the end. Then you click on his link says, we'll be right back. Thank you for your patience. <laughs> Our engineers are working quickly to resolve the issue. By the way, it, ref- it, it references a Yahoo account. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's not... That's, that tells you that, that dates it. Yeah, that definitely dates it. Um, fast-paced, that's funny. I don't think it was fast-paced at all. No. Uh, Brian Chen from filmcritic.com says, a rare gem. Wow, that's a very thorough review right there. Uh, yeah, so I, you know, not, I think if more critics were to watch it, I think it would, it would bring it more to where we're at. Uh, I, I liked it more than the audience score, though. Let's see, on, where are we at? On IMDb, it's 5.8, 5. 5. on 9,000 reviews. So I'm going to give it, I can't remember what I gave it on our lost episode, but I'm going to give it a 6.8. 6.8. I think I went up. I think I went up from like a 6.7. Okay. Look, I uh, 
have started to increase my interest in Jeremy Solonier based on the things you're saying. And knowing Green Room, which I absolutely love, I loved Green Room, uh, and knowing that if Blue Ruin measures up, that I'll really like that as mm-hmm. well. Um, and knowing that this, once again, is a, is a directorial debut. This, this is a, a bunch of guys getting together and go making it. I love that. Um, it's it's hard to do that. It's hard to make a film, especially when you have nobody backing you and, and supporting you. So props to them for that. As a film, if I look at it, I got to come in with something a little bit more harsh. Uh, love the comedy horror dr- uh, genre, mm-hmm. but once again, it's it's hard to do. Either you go comedy or you go horror. If you're going to mix the two, you got to be really articulate about how you do it. And I think they were trying to throw this together because that's what they were doing to try to get a feature made, which is great. So I'm not knocking him for that. But as a movie, I'd say definitely go watch Solonet's follow-up films, but don't this this is not a a, a must watch. Um, and the audience comes in at 5.8 on IMDb. I'm coming in at 5.5. Even lower. Yeah. All right. I think that's a fair rating. And is it mainly just the, the, the tone and pacing issues? Or? The biggest thing for me is the pacing. And once again, not to over-discuss it, I don't care about the main character. Yeah. And I know that I'm not trying to be a traditionalist. Oh, you have to. And here's the principle of storytelling. And here's narrative structure. you got to fi- follow this protagonist. I just want to have somebody to root for in a horror film, even if it's comedic. Yeah, for sure. So, because it's it's essential. It's like every horror film you have somebody to root for, Mm -hmm. at least the ones that I like. So, uh, I don't have that here, and I think that's where he missed the boat. I think execution as 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 a filmmaker did a good job, especially as a first time. But it's at a five point five out of ten. Cool. I I I can I can feel you on that. there is no, there is no love for for any of the characters in this. Really, everyone sucks. Everyone's the, a douche. no. There's no likable character in this. I like Werewolf just because. Maybe Hellhammer I, the dog. Yeah, yeah, Hellhammer. Because he doesn't do anything. Yeah, he doesn't do and, anything. And he, yeah, yeah. Poor guy's gonna be put to He's sleep. He's gonna be put to sleep. <laughs> uh, I would say, to be honest, for those out there, go watch Green Room. Yeah. Watch Green, Green Room and Blue Ruin. They're they're fantastic. Much different movies. Uh, Solonier does a great job on those films. Murder Party. This is uh, the Tame Aperture Podcast. Um, check us out on www.tameaperture.com. Alan, thanks for trekking us through this one. Yeah, thanks for putting up with this movie. This is the Tame Aperture Podcast signing out. Until next time, peace. The Tame Aperture podcast is produced by Dutch Angle Pictures in association with Studio B Productions. Listen, watch, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and YouTube.